Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 108 for Sunday, May 8th. 2022. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, joined by a somewhat frequent guest of the show. This is our fifth year in production. This is her fifth annual appearance. Please welcome Science Commander Susan Arndt. Hello, Susan. Hello. It's been a hot minute since we, we got to talk Trek together. It has. You were here for the season three of Discovery recap back in January of 2021, and your previous appearances were in 2020, 2019, 2018. So here you are in 2022. You made it. Yay! Woo! Go me. Go you. And you're here partly because our dear friend, Sabriel Mastin, Captain Sabriel Mastin, is traveling this week. So she is offline. She'll be back. But you and I are here to talk about season one, episode one of Strange New Worlds. Yes. Yes. With my boyfriend, (laughs) Anson Mount. Now, before we get to that, since it has been a hot year, Hmm. for those who have not been following along, a little reminder, who are you, Susan? Oh, heck. Uh, I am am the person on space.com who ranks various Star Trek things, like the best episodes of The Next Generation, the best episodes of the original series. I've ranked the movies. By the way, my rankings are correct. (laughs) I don't want to hear it. Your opinion is wrong. Thank you very much. Yes. How long have you been doing that? Uh, I think it's been about a year I've been doing that. Maybe six months. Wow. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't know that. Oh, that's I mean, that's okay. You are one of the few who has not taken to social media to yell at me greatly for leaving out this or that other episode from a list of favorites. I mean, I would yell at you if you're ranking things you haven't watched, because I know you were not hot on season four of Discovery or season two of Picard. Nope, nope. I bailed on both of them. I was horrendously bored by Discovery. Here's my problem with, with this season of Discovery. And this is not a problem that is unique to Discovery, but writers seem to take it for granted that you are going to care about the loss of something. So we lose Book, this is not a huge spoiler at this point, but Book's planet goes bye-bye. It is completely destroyed. All his people, his homeland, gone. And we are supposed to take this emotional journey with him, except we've never been given a reason to. We're not given a reason to care about his home planet, except innately, well, gosh, it was a home planet full of people, and it's really sad that it's gone now. And it's making Book sad, and that's a bummer, but... We never really saw him interacting with his home, speaking fondly of his home, any kind of emotional justification for us to feel anything within the confines of this fiction that is the the Discovery TV show. So, yeah, if you want to shortcut that, you can't. It's a shame, but you haven't given me a reason to care. So I don't. So bye-bye. That is something Discovery has not been great at. Similar in season two with Arium, a yep. character that we lost in the same episode where we got her backstory. Yep, 100%. Yep, exactly. Mm. Exactly. But if a writer has to give us a sufficient corpus of information about 
a person, place, or thing before we lose it. How does that work in novels? I don't. I don't understand the question. Like a novel is entirely self-contained. There aren't seasons leading up to it. Sure, so sure. if a character loses somebody important to them, it's usually somebody that we've met in the first hundred pages. Not necessarily. And it's also, I mean, look at it, think about it this way. What they did in the show to make, to, to make us care uh, about book and it, or books, uh, home planet, I should say, is we have this quick little visit with him and his nephew and uh, oh isn't this a lovely little family setting and then suddenly everything's gone right wouldn't ha- it have been so much more impactful for him to find out after the fact oh my god my home planet is gone my family is gone i hadn't talked to them in who knows how long because of some stupid disagreement we had and now i never will so now what we are doing, what we can key off of is that sense of guilt, that sense of loss, that sense of I was taking this whole thing for granted and now it is gone. That is something very human that we can connect with as opposed to, oh, I was just there and now the entire planet got blown up. It just feels cheap. Then the focus is on the planet got blown up as opposed to books processing of the planet getting blown up. So you think in this case, the less they showed us of the planet, the more impactful it would have been. I do. I really do. Interesting. Yeah. Like with you, you take Saru, Saru's connection to his people has been established throughout his entire arc. So if, if the same thing played out, but it was a quick visit home for him first, I think it would it would feel completely different than the way it did with book. Hmm. We know what his people mean to him. We know what his sister means to him. We we know we have always known, and so for that to be taken away, we would feel that pain with him. Whereas book, it's like, bro, you never talked about your family ever. Didn't know you had a nephew. Okay, and what is this? Suddenly, there's this tree sap that is important to you that we've never talked about before. Okay, sweetie. It's kind of like in the original series Star Trek, Jim Kirk loses his brother. There you go. And until that episode, we never knew he had a brother. Right. It's like, oh, you have. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. I kind of felt the same way when he lost his son, to be honest, in the search for Spock. I, the problem is the search for Spock is not good. Granted, it is an odd number Star Trek. It is an odd number and therefore sucks. I, I can, I, they did a little bit of the work to establish that in con because you, you can see them trying to talk to each other. It's just like, hey, now is maybe not the best time for this because we're in the middle of this huge crisis. But there is, there is a a a a desire to know each other that is communicated both um, through body language and a, a few lines of dialogue and and stuff like that. Um, so I think conceptually it works. It's just that Spock's a badly written movie. <laughs> it's just not good. Fair, fair. And also, you write for space.com, so you must be correct. Exactly. Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> I forget where Search for Spock ended up on the list, but it was not high. No, no. So are you going to be ranking 
season four of Discovery and season two of Picard? No, no, no. Because I I don't do uh, individual seasons. I do overall. But how can you even do overall discovery if you haven't seen a quarter of it? Well, I don't I don't necessarily I don't rank all Star Trek things. I only rank the good Star Trek things. But so do you know if Discovery is good? I've watched three out of four seasons of it. I got a pretty good idea. So what's the percentage? You have to consume at least what, like fifty one percent? So like two seasons and an episode and you're good. <laughs> and then you're fine. Okay. And then you too can rank this. Okay, <laughs> okay. Just that we're clear on that. But we are going to be learning more about Jim Kirk's brother and a lot of other stuff in Strange New Worlds because season one, episode one just premiered. What was the name of the episode? I already forgot. I don't actually remember. Uh, well, we need to get that right for this. Uh, I think it's just called Strange New Worlds. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we have seen Strange New Worlds. It debuted on Cinco de Mayo. And what did you think? Where do, where do you want to start? So I, th- it was not an exciting episode. It was, it was definitely, I don't feel like it is the kind of thing that is going to win over anyone who doesn't already have kind of a vested interest in this show. It had a lot of table setting to do, though. There was a lot it had to remind viewers of, to introduce viewers to. And I think it did all of that really well within the confines of this one episode. It just didn't make for a lot of exciting TV, is all. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't groundbreaking, Mm -hmm. but it let us know where the show was going. Mm -hmm. For being a Discovery spinoff, it was remarkably accessible, I thought. You know, the only thing you really need to know is the stuff from the cage and the menagerie, which is yep. now, you know, 60 years old. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's not exactly yes. a spoiler. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you need to know. Well, it would be really, really helpful if you knew specifically about that, uh, about the the part in Discovery where he went into the cave, he saw yes. his future, and that it ended up at the place that, that becomes um, the cage slash the menagerie, which... Fun fact, the only reason Captain Pike is ends up in a wheelchair disfigured uh, is because they couldn't get the same actor. So they're like, oh, well, what, how, how do we get through this? Oh, I know. We'll mess up his face and put a lot of makeup on it. It'll be fine. I knew it was a different actor. I didn't know that that was part of the plot, per se. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, because they when they wanted to repurpose the footage, which that was a brilliant way to do it, I thought they have this pilot which nothing about it is the same once the show is picked up and they're like well we have this this episode let's put it to use and the way they repackaged it i thought was very very clever but yeah small problem can't get the same dude who played captain pike so hey good workaround my dad was never very good at distinguishing actors he thought like, oh, that must be the same person. No. So he and I were watching Star Trek Voyager and there was the episode where they discovered the other Federation starship in the Delta Quadrant, the Equinox, mm-hmm. captained by Captain Ransom. Mm-hmm. And my dad's like, oh, that's the same guy who played Captain Pike. I'm like, uh, dad, Jeffrey Hunter died in 1969. <laughs> not him. This is not Weekend at Bernie's. Sorry. <laughs> but, oh. Yeah. So, let me see. 
What did you think about the opening in Montana? I mean, we've been to Montana in Star Trek before. There's a sure. whole Star Trek movie set there. Sure. Did you find it believable that Pike was questioning his future in Starfleet? Oh, 100%, for sure. I thought one of the things I, I, I thought the, the episode did really, really well was communicate freak, him freaking out, not just because, like, wow, I know what happens to me and when, and it's not good. And it's not even just, oh, hey, this is when you're going to die. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going to live, but your life is is going to be completely different and not in a good way, Right. And I thought it they did it did a really good job of establishing why that would freak him out, both just generally as a person, but then in in his ability to be a captain. If you know this is what's happening and this is when it's happening, how does that influence your decision making? And you can't second guess yourself when you're a captain. You need to be definitive. You need to be confident and be the the person to instill that confidence in your entire crew. Really loved that. Also, it let Anson Mount ride a horse again, and I'm always in support of that. Uh, so, although apparently Star Trek is fixated with Montana cabins and making breakfast, this is what this is what captains do in Montana. Apparently, they make breakfast for lady friends. Okay, sure. It couldn't be, you know, dinner, <laughs> something. <sighs> But no, I, I I I I thought that was well done. I I am I do wonder if anyone who who didn't already know the part from Discovery, I do wonder if it told that well enough for them to kind of get it. I think it did, but I mean, I'm coming at it from the bias of knowing exactly what happened. <laughs> Yeah, they did have to summarize that stuff, and I think some people might be a little lost, but it was I, I think it was sufficiently summarized. Mm. Just sort of, okay, he knows what's gonna happen to him, let's move on. Mm-hmm. And Spock briefly mentioned the Klingon monastery and how it's yep. known for two things. And I think that part was meant for people who watch Discovery. Yep. For for those who have not seen Discovery, I think how Pike learned his future is not important. The fact yeah, that he knows yeah. it is the important part. Yeah. Okay. Do you think him being in Montana, he was perhaps trying to avoid his fate? Of course. Yeah. Of course. Of course. It's also your, when, when you have something, uh, an event news, wh- whatever it is that is outside, it, it's bigger than you, right? It's outside your ability to comprehend, to control, to process, you retreat to somewhere safe where you can control things, where you know things, where everything makes sense and is simple because you have to devote so much of yourself to this other larger thing. I mean, out in the snow on a horse, that's a lot easier than a starship. Nobody's counting on him. Nobody is 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 looking to him for answers. He can just be him and sort of work through this 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 thing that he also isn't sharing with other people. Like he's trying to do it all himself, which is, which I get, um, but is not possible. Yeah. Him saying it's classified. It's not classified. He just doesn't want to talk about it. Exactly. And it's, I mean, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to talk about that either. 
Sure, because it certainly limits your options. I mean, it's not nearly the same thing, but I'm a digital nomad. I move every couple of months. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people are like, what's the point in getting to know you if you're going to be gone soon? And wow. I could imagine somebody saying that to Pike, like, oh, sure. you're going to you're going to die next week. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. not going to bother getting invested then. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I hadn't even thought about that, but that's true. Hmm. Yeah. The one thing I do, I do wonder going back to whether the storytelling worked, I do think it eventually got to a place in the episode in that conversation between Spock and Pike in his quarters where he's, where he's having Brandy. Uh, but before then he's seeing the glimpses of his, his disfigured face like in, in the reflection of the captain's chair. And and I do wonder how much that lost parts of the audience. Like, what is going on with him? Why is he, who, who, what is he looking at? What is he seeing? What, what is going on? I'm curious. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. I did think that those glimpses were unnecessary. I feel like they were really hammering it home. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I feel like that was for the folks who come into this not knowing what's going mm. on. Like, okay, yes, he's haunted by something. And, and this is, this is how much it's on his mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as long as we're talking about his character arc, he did eventually at, by the end of the episode, come to a place of acceptance mm -hmm. of realizing that this knowledge can be a strength. And I'm not quite sure. I, I've only seen the episode once. I'm not sure I followed how he got there. I mean, clearly his chief of security said something that hit home for him, mm -hmm. but it seemed more revelatory to him than I expected it to be. Yeah, I, I get it. Um, cause she's, what, what happened is she's talking about, um, her family history with the Gorn. That's right. The Gorn. This is so weird. And every single person she was with, she's, she's the sole survivor. And so she saw each one of them die and right before they died, they had, they were surprised because, and there's it, this running theme through the episode uh, that no one ever expects to die right up until the end. We think we're going to find a way to get out of it. And so we're always surprised when we can't. And I think the, the idea is for Pike is he knows he's not going to get out of it. So he's not going to, occupy himself with trying to avoid it so he can instead focus on the things that matter. I'm not sh I, okay. I mean it's I'm not sure it worked for me but the, at the same time I don't know the exact time and place when I'm going to die. So I can't I I am that person who's going to be like god damn it. <laughs> I really thought I had it this time, you know, right up until the last second. So I don't, I don't know. They they definitely do. Uh, they had to do something because he can't be like, oh, gosh, is this the day it's going to happen? Like, he can't be doing that the whole time. Because right. A, that's boring. Uh, and, and B, like, then you're sitting there, like, tapping your watch, like, okay, nope, it can't be this season. We know it doesn't happen for 10 years yet. So, you know. Have you ever read the anthology Machine of Death? I have not. It's about a machine where you stick your finger in, it draws some blood, and that spits out like a little, almost like a fortune teller card with a very cryptic word or two about how you're going to die. Fascinating. D doesn't have a date. So, for example, one person, their card comes out and says old age. And they're like, yes, I'm going to die of old age. And they're, so they, next morning, they go for a jog, they're crossing the street, and they get hit by a car driven by a very old person. Ah, nice. Love that. 
So people react to this information all sorts of different ways. Like yeah. one person in, you know, it's not necessarily a consistent multiverse, but one person, their card says knife fight. And this becomes part of their permanent record because you have to get tested for how you're going to die. Oh, fascinating. And now that they know that they're going to die in a knife fight, which is something that happens like in a bar or an alley, they can't get into good schools because schools don't want criminals. And now since they can't get into to good schools, they turn to a life of crime uh, and they die in a knife fight. Yep. Uh, another person says they're going to be eaten by a tiger. So they spend their whole lives eating the most healthful diet and exercising a lot because they want that tiger to have a good meal. <laughs> And so Pike has this knowledge and he has to yeah. figure out how he's going to react to it. Is he going to try to avoid it? Is he going to live up to it? Or is he just going to set it aside until the day it comes? Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that a lot. That's funny. Now I did read a post on Reddit by a user who said that they are disabled and they have both a pro and a con to say about Pike's reaction to this news. One mm -hmm. is that becoming disabled is not analogous with dying. He does. He does make a point of saying, at least as I as my life as I know it. They do clarify that a few times. Yes. yes. But Pike is almost treating it as if it is the death of him. Uh, but on the bright side, this user also said that their condition is progressive. Mm -hmm. It's not going to get better. Mm -hmm. And they really admire that Pike is in a position where his circumstances are not going to get better. And yet he lives up to it and he doesn't let that stop him from seeing each new right. day come. Right, right. Yeah. I do think Pike's reaction is the the common one of able-bodied people. And I I do think that you don't you don't think you're going to be able to handle something like that until you decide you're able to handle something like that. Right? Like, you know, I, I, uh, in, in dealing with the deaf community and, and, uh, being invested with the deaf culture, there's a lot of, oh my gosh, you know, the, what I would do, I would, I would get the surgery to get a cochlear implant immediately to try and get my hearing back. It's like, well, I get that you want your hearing back, but you can deal with being deaf also. Like it is not the end of your life. It is just a change of your life. Hmm. So I think, I think, I think his reaction, his initial reaction is certainly understandable, um, but yeah, I do agree. I, I do appreciate that he's not, it doesn't turn him into this sort of quivering. Oh no. Oh, the next 10 years of my life are pointless because I know where it's going to end up. That is a ticking clock though. He says to Spock, it's not anytime soon, but then he says, actually 10 years does feel soon now. Yeah. Yeah. And pretty soon it's going to be five years and then two years. Yeah. But the thing is like, he's the freaking captain of a starship like it could be tomorrow you could get blown out of the sky buddy it's not like you know you're a home ec teacher you're in a dangerous line of work mm -hmm. and that's so, true he now has the security of knowing it's not going to happen in the next 10 years yeah exactly and there are other things that can happen <laughs> yeah yeah mm, yes it's very yeah. true yeah yeah what do you think about the mission they went on to save number one on the planet of whatever that planet was? Oh, it was a little unremarkable, honestly. And this is what I'm talking about with table setting. Like, they, this is how we met Nurse Chapel. 
who is awesome. Can I just say that I am ready for a Nurse Chapel spinoff? I love her so hard. Yes. Incredible. I I was not expecting her to steal every scene she was in. I know. And that's that's why I love that. But that that was just, okay, we got to make you look like the folks on the planet. And that entire thing was really only A, so they could eventually get caught, and B, so we could be introduced to the medical team. Fine. The the rescue, such as it was, was, okay, we're going to go walk into a building, do some neck pinches, and we're done. Rescued. That's it. You know, not super exciting, but there just, there really wasn't room to do a lot there because we are busy getting Pike's state of mind, getting Spock being engaged to Tepring. Uh, we're getting in- introduced to all the new members of the cast and crew and all that. So it was fine. It was fine. I gave him something to do. It's fine. I wasn't in love with the fact that the mission was to rescue number one. Really? Yeah, I mean, she is one of the most interesting characters in Star Trek history, in my opinion, especially after season two of Discovery. True. And, and you know, when she was in the original TOS pilot, like Pike mm-hmm. was saying, I don't think I'll ever get used to having a woman on the bridge. Yeah. Because back then that was not common. Yeah. And so the very first episode of Strange New Worlds, the damsel gets caught and has to be rescued. Well, because... I was okay with that because you're walking into what you think is a first contact situation. And A, A, there's that. B, she just has two scientists with her. So her job in that situation is to protect them. So it's more like they got caught. And what is she going to do? Like leave them? Obviously not. Well, I'll tell you what I had a problem with though. The visual of the Enterprise bridge with all the bridge officers being women. I hadn't thought of that. Was that true? Except for Spock. Yes. It's Spock Spock and Pike and all women. Okay. Here's the problem. So you've got Pike in the center this very handsome man that we're all we've already been introduced to in a sexual context because he's he is making breakfast for a woman who woke up naked in his bed so we are already thinking of him in that context and so to have him in the center of this room of beautiful women it looked very haremesque it i was like mm. on the one hand Great. Uh, uh, to be fair and to be clear, nothing in the dialogue, nothing in the costuming, nothing in the anything created that kind of vibe. Like they were not differential to him. They were acting like any other officer. That was all fine. The way it was actually presented, fine. But that visual, especially given that like there, we're in the 60s style uniforms, the women are all wearing pants. It's fine. But like he's in the the old fashioned o- original series outfit. Mm, really, I did not like that. Hmm. Well, there are two things to consider. One is we haven't seen the actor Bruce Horak. I forget his character's name, but he plays the Andorian who beamed on at the end of the show. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's going to change the gender balance a little bit. 
Yep. And also, there are definitely some queer vibes coming from some of the women on the bridge. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, there, and the, all, the other thing is, until, because number one is on the planet, there's absolutely nobody on that bridge to challenge him. So it's the handsome man surrounded by a bunch of beautiful women who are all deferring to him. It just, it just made me a little comfortable. It's not like, like not like none of them are going to be like, I don't know, captain, does that seem like a great idea? Because they shouldn't in their roles as bridge officers. That is something the first officer does. It just made me uncomfortable. I don't like it. But did La'an, Nuni and Singh challenge him at any point as his number one? I don't feel like she did. I could be wrong. I would be happy to be wrong. Because I feel like she was like, at one point she said, we need to raise the shield. And Pike's like, that's not a defensive. You shouldn't take a defensive posture in a first contact. Right, 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 right. No, I didn't feel like that was challenging him though. That is offer, but counter argument. And that, and yeah, I don't, mm, I don't know. Maybe it's okay. just me. Maybe it's just me. And, uh, I mean, yes, questioning the captain is one of the jobs of the number one. But mm-hmm. once the captain has made up his mind, you don't challenge him in front of other people. Oh, of, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Data took Worf to task for that on TNG. Yes. Yes. Absolutely true. I did not feel like there was anyone. I felt a lack of confidence from the other characters on the bridge. And this is a mostly new crew to Pike, isn't it? Yeah. I was a bit confused on that point. Yeah. They seem to know the doctor. Yeah. Pike and Spock and number one, all go back. Sure. 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 Yep. Mm -hmm. They kept talking about rotations. So I was a little confused. Like Uhura is there on a rotation. Yeah. Is that like an internship? I'm not really sure. I was confused about that. Yeah. And also, Spock used the word billet, which is a word I had to look up because it has a military context I was unfamiliar with. So I wasn't sure in that moment if it meant there were people on the ship that were going to leave or there were people coming to the ship who weren't there yet. I think both. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, I think for, I think that's it. Yeah. For those who still don't know that word, the I'm reading from the dictionary here. An official order, written or verbal, directing the person to whom it is addressed to provide such lodging. Uh, oh. So, like on a ship, for example. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, basically, assigning a bunk to somebody or a berth. Yep. Uh, speaking of which, captain's quarters are swank. Nice. Yeah. Much better than anything Kirk had. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, I would hope the heck so. Like, come on. Why, well, why do you hope the heck so? Because that was in the 60s. And we're <laughs> a little better at stuff now. We got but, a little more bouger. But this is supposedly the exact same ship we saw in the 60s. I mean, okay, yes, but come on. Can we not appreciate like having a little bit more cash to, sure. to make our sets now? I mean, if J.J. Abrams can make the Enterprise look like an Apple store, then anything is possible. Oh my god, he, that's the perfect description of it, because that's exactly what he did. He really <laughs> did make it look like an Apple store. Mm-hmm. Oh and, that, and that movie came out 13 years ago today. Stop it. Oh my god. The 2009 reboot, first of the three oh Kelvin films. Gosh, wow. We're old, Ken. That's what I'm saying. We're old. Which is a nice problem to have. 
That's true. And we're going to keep getting old and be surprised at the end when we're not anymore. Yep. We're like, son of a... (laughs) Make it out of this. Now, you mentioned that number one was responsible for taking care of the two other people on her Mm -hmm. ship. Who sends a three-person crew to a first contact mission? I was a little baffled by that myself. That was one thing that... I really don't feel like this episode made it very clear why she's out there. Cause the, cause the whole thing is uh, the enterprise is back in, uh, 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 in dock space dock getting worked on. So everybody's supposed to be basically on vacation until it's ready to go again. But number one takes a ship with two scientists to go check out a first contact situation. Yeah. What? I didn't follow that. First contact is far too important to leave in the hands of such a minimal crew. It was very strange. Yeah. And also that episode of TNG where Beverly Crusher is in a warp bubble and everybody keeps disappearing. Mm. Like at the end, it's just her and the captain. And she says to him, why would they send the enterprise out with a two person crew? And Picard is like, it's never been a problem before. Like, (laughs) no, if you're sending three people, on a first contact mission, you may be in a warp bubble. <laughs> <laughs> Something has definitely gone awry. Yeah. yeah. And then the, the, the warp bomb. I, yeah, I don't get now. Here's the thing. I was watching it with my husband. He knew immediately what was going on. Oh, so yeah. He's like, Oh, it's a warp bomb. I'm like, what the heck is a warp bomb? Yeah. I, like warp is propulsion. No. I don't get it. I still don't get it. So how did he know what it was if it doesn't make sense? Know. Does it I make sense know. to him? Uh, he, I, I should ask. I didn't. I'm like, okay, well, I guess this is a thing. And I didn't watch or read whatever referenced it. I don't know. He knew it was up. Yeah, I mean, it does not have its own memory alpha wiki page. So oh. this has not come up before. Oh, <gasps> I wonder if he watched the episode before me and was just trying to look smart. Wait. Oh. No, you are waiting to watch it with him. I know. Oh, that's it. He's in trouble. Oh, man. And I'll be all my fault. I'm sorry. <laughs> Welcome to yeah. the next episode of the Divorce Podcast. There you go. Yeah, no, I don't I don't get. I mean, I, I get the end result of it, which is they saw a warp signature, understandably thought it was a warp drive and that they were ripe for first contact. But oh, no. Also, Okay. How does one reverse engineer from being able to see the outside of a spaceship? What do you mean? Well, okay. So the whole reason these people had warp technology that soon in their development was because the whole thing where Michael Burnham ended up going into the future on Discovery happened in their neighborhood, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. And they could see it. So there's this idea. They reverse engineered warp drive from looking at these spaceships and at the end of the episode, you see like kids in school drawing the spaceships and you see some scientists like with pictures of them and with pointers and like, yeah, but that's not going to tell you how the engine works, kids. Hmm. I don't get it. I think I had missed the details of how they gleaned that information. That is interesting. I mean, certainly seeing the exterior of a ship can be revelatory in sure. some respects. But specifically warp technology? I don't know about that. 
unless it was also giving off other emissions that they were able to detect. Oh, that's an interesting point. Okay, that's a point. That's an interesting point. Okay. Yeah. That could be. Yeah. But I also hand wave that. A little bit. Yeah. But I still don't know how the warp bomb itself works. I, I got nothing. I don't know, like what does it do? Like one thing I have I have not seen this in the any of the shows, but I've read it in some of the beta canon novels mm-hmm. where the bad guys, I think in this case the Romulans, just point a ship at a planet and just set it to warp and collide right into the planet. Oh, wow. But I've that's, that's your basic kamikaze maneuver, no? Yeah, I mean we saw that in Star Wars eight. Yes. <laughs> I don't I this is why I'm not a huge fan of of the actual uh, crisis air quote of the episode. That all felt kind of like okay. We have twenty lines of dialogue to give this a plot. Once we've established, you know, Pike is freaking out and Spock is engaged, and we will introduce you to everybody. And I lo- although we did get to have the guy waking up on the Enterprise. That was choice. I loved that. It was so fun. Uh, the most choice part of that was the elevator ride with Ahura. Yes! That was so fun. I love her. She is awesome. I I just her and Anne Chapel are phenomenal. And they even her, took that they, they took that small moment to introduce themselves to each other at the end. Chapel. Yeah. Ahura. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like that's great. I I I enjoy them and I look forward to seeing them more. I like La'an a lot too. Although isn't that Khan's last name? Oh, the, she is definitely a relative of Khan. That's how it's okay. been advertised. Okay. All right then. Just checking. Making sure. That's going to be very interesting to see if it ties into season two of Picard somehow. Mm, yeah. Good point. That will be interesting. I wonder if that, mm, I hope it isn't a crossover type dealy. but they're so Oh, wait, because, right, it was 400 years in the past. I don't know. Could be anything. We don't know. Yeah, I know. I mean, we also saw a con crossover on Enterprise when Brent Spiner showed up at there as well. Oh, true. Yeah. Season four. Yep. And we don't know anything about Ortega's, really. True. Yep. I mean, certainly maybe second best haircut on the bridge. It's pretty dope, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I'm into it. I am hardcore into it. And I'm only saying second because in deference to your man, Pike. His hair is glorious. Right? Absolute perfection. <laughs> Love him. Although, and again, this might just be the setting. I felt like he did better on Discovery yeah. than in his own show. I agreed. He, yeah. I mean, he grew it out to go to Montana. And when he went back to the barber, it didn't come out the same way exactly. Yeah. Also, I, I, I don't. To be fair, he is supposed to be a little rattled, but I, there was an ease to him in discovery, a a a, a confidence that I did not feel like was present in this episode. I think this episode was about him regaining his confidence. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's understandable. I think we'll see it in future yeah, episodes. I'll be very curious. I'll be very curious hmm. to see if it's if he's got that. Sort of like swaggerly cool that he had there. And speaking of transformations, we can now beam people down in new clothes. And we can beam something directly into their eye. Okay, that was the first time they'd ever done that. That was new. Yeah. But apparently the 
transporter slash fabricator sure. simultaneously. Okay. That was impressive because we've always seen people like Picard walking to the transporter room in his civilian clothes that when yeah. he beamed down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Sure. Well, sure. that brings up a bigger question, which is one of the complaints I heard about Enterprise which now went off the air 17 years ago, is that it was 100 years before Kirk. Star Trek, in general, has been about looking forward, and Enterprise was a step back. Yep. Do you think Strange New Worlds is a step back? Like, does this work in being consistent with Star Trek? I think... Here's, here. I think they are challenged to tell stories in a way they don't feel hamstrung. Like they, they sent discovery hundreds of years into the future just to be able to have some room to breathe because Star Trek fans were uh, okay. We're, we're just, we're crazy. Okay. And we like things the way we like things, but everybody like fans pretty much wanted to be the next generation period the end like you you can't color outside those lines or they feel like it's air quote not star trek and i get that i do i i really do but there are lots of different stories that you should be able to tell within within the star trek universe concept all of it and what has happened with the shows is they start off with these interesting ideas like Voyager. All right. What happens if you take a Starfleet crew and a terrorist crew or freedom fighter, depending on your perspective, put them together and then put them in another quadrant where the only people they have to rely on are each other. That is an amazing concept, which they then cheated, not immediately, but almost immediately. Because people were like, well, this isn't like Next Generation, and I don't, I'm bored. I want stories like Next Generation. Where are the Klingons? I want Klingons, and I want Romulans, and I want, right? Deep Space Nine, same idea. Okay, now instead of being on a starship, instead of us going to the action, the action is going to come to us. And we're going to put in this really heavy political story with Bajor and, and the Cardassians. And then a couple seasons in, they give them the Defiance so they can go places and get in fights. Everything gets turned into next gen because that's what people are comfortable with. And that when they think of Star Trek, that's what they think of. So I think knowing that you have to find new, well, like, okay, well, if we got to go places and get in fights, how can we do that in new and interesting ways? And the Pike story hasn't been told. Okay, cool. Well, let's take it into this area that we kind of know about. It's going to intersect with the stuff that we find interesting and that is lore to us, but it is going to be new. It's going to be uh, areas that we can examine that haven't happened before. So yes, technically it is going backwards uh, in that it is in that original series era flavor zip code, but it's, it, it does have room to explore and find its edges. In ways, I, th- I feel like Enterprise, I loved conceptually the idea of Enterprise. What is space travel like before it's cool? What is it like before it's comfortable? 
that's neat. That's a really neat story you can tell. I don't feel like the audience was ready for it. And so it ended up having to get kind of walked back into that. I would go Gareth places and get in fights and make it look like Star Trek. Like the whole point is that it doesn't look like Star Trek. Right. So yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot you can do there if they're willing to do it. If the whole point of Enterprise was that it didn't look like Star Trek, what does it say about me that I thought this fourth season, which tied into so much Star Trek lore, was some of the best Star Trek ever told? I don't know. <laughs> You've never been one to curb your tongue before. I mean, I didn't, I gave up on Enterprise because as soon as they cut a swath through Florida. Yep. I was like, no, you can't do that. I get that you want to have some kind of big drama event, but you can't because we know what happens. And what does happen? Well, nobody in any of the other iterations of Star Trek have ever mentioned this alien species cutting a many mile wide canal through Florida. You kind of think it would come up. I don't know. I mean, if, if, how often do we talk about the bubonic plague? Um, have you, let me rephrase that. Have you ever had any kind of conversation about the bubonic plague? Not particularly. Really? Even with coronavirus, you never commented on like the Spanish flu, Spanish flu or, or, bubonic plague or like anything like that like major historical events maybe when similar things happen yeah but have we had similar things to the zindi attack on earth happen at at borg attack on earth for sure but they didn't make it there they got stopped not really the point though (laughs) not really the point like well, Susan, I am a Star Trek fan, and as Sabriel and I always say, fans are the best and worst things about Star Trek. That is entirely true. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, I, I, I wish Enterprise had been allowed to be its own thing. Mm. I really do. That's why they didn't even call it Star Trek at first. It was oh, just yeah, Enterprise. Yeah. 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 I, th- I feel like if they had just... Stayed the course? <sighs> Well, the problem, I mean, TV ratings are a thing, and and at the, at the time, what was it, 17 years ago, you said? That's when it went off the air, when it came on the air 21 years ago. Wow, yeah, that was, I, I feel like you could do something like that much more successfully now, because I feel like fans are more accepting of things that don't look exactly like the thing that they miss, but, you know... Because now we have things like, you know, webisodes and the internet is, is a place where you can en- engage in more conversation and walk, e- even just being able to watch the old episodes now. It was a lot harder to do 20 years ago. Sure. So I feel like you could do something more successfully now because the people who'd be like, eh, this is a, this isn't real Star Trek can go over in their little corner and, and watch what they consider to be real Trek and leave the rest to other people. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the various historical events that do or do not get referenced in Star Trek, we had 
Captain Pike resolve the crisis this week, which was not rescuing number one, but it was preventing a civil war on this yeah. planet. Yeah. And he did so by comparing to Earth's timeline. Yep. What did you think about his approach? I, um, this is promising. So I'm not sure it would have worked to be perfectly honest. I'm not sure you can just convince people who want to fight not to that easily. Like, Oh, Hey, by the way, your fight's going to lead to this. They don't believe you. They want to fight. My issue with it mostly though, was the lack of subtlety by putting the, the footage of the insurrection in there. The very first clip he shows them is from the insurrection. Yep. And I get it. Trust me. I get it. And I'm not saying don't put politics in my science fiction show. Not saying that at all because Star Trek is inherently political and always has been. It felt tainted to me. I'm, I'm not sure how to express this thought adequately. So one of the problems I had with um, Jodie Whittaker's run in Doctor Who was the incredibly clumsy way it explored politics of the time. Uh, there's one episode with giant spiders crawling all over parliament. That was, it was, it was calling it ham fisted is generous. Like it was so clumsy and on the nose and like, yeah, we get it. Your metaphor is, And, and for, for Star Trek, Star Trek is one of the best typically at having, giving people an opportunity to discuss difficult political issues in a safe way, right? And for it to be that blatant and on the nose felt cheap. Um, I get it. I do. Uh, and, and I'm not going to lie. If I was in that writer room, I might want to take that opportunity to do exactly that as well. I, I just wish it had been a little more elegant. I can totally see how the alien race he was addressing would say, oh, you all blew yourself up and now you're traveling through the stars. Looks like it turned out okay for you. Right? Yeah. Like it felt a little condescending, right? This is also maybe, unless I'm missing something, the first time I'm aware of Star Trek history, including a second civil war in the United States. I don't remember that coming up before. I remember I World War three. Yeah. 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 No, I feel like I, and I, and I can't point to where it is, but I, I do feel like it's been mentioned. I okay. could be wrong. I could definitely be wrong. Because it seemed to me that it was something that they invented in response to our current political environment. Yeah. 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 Let's see. Yeah, I am looking at the Memory Alpha page for Civil War, and it mentions mm -hmm. the American Civil War. Mm -hmm. And I don't see another one mentioned as having happened on Earth. It mentions mm. the Civil War that we just saw in this episode uh, between the... The whoever. Nope, I'm sorry. This was something else. I don't know who... Yeah, what was this phrase? Whoever. Yeah, I don't think there was a second Civil War mentioned. Civil War Two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we call it World War II, so why not Civil War II? Although that sounds like a sequel to a Captain America movie. And also, like a Civil War is, by definition, you can't have a global Civil War. 
So it can only be within the confines of, you know, a country or state or what have you. Yeah. Pike certainly seemed to imply that the second civil war bled into the eugenics war, which then became world war three, right? Almost as if these were all one prolonged event, kind of like how the great war became known as world war one. Right. These other things eventually became world war three. Right. Right, 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 right. Which is a fairly new thing in Star Trek history because they always said that the eugenics wars happened in the 1990s, which has clearly oh, not Jesus. happened. Oh my god. Oh yeah. God. Oh god. <laughs> oh lord. Well, that was 30 years in the future at one point. I know, I know. Oh. But now Picard season two comes along and says, uh, historical records of this era are spotty because of all the wars. And I'm like, yeah, you were off by a couple of decades. We can see that now. But they do have film footage from apparently our last presidential inauguration or the voting or the counting just a few weeks earlier. Mm-hmm. But other records of that era are spotty. Spotty. Yeah, there's a little iffy. We don't know if there was a eugenics war that day or not, but there was a count the vote. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, listen, look. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you put your stuff way in the future. Right. Way. Thousands and thousands of years. Or put it on a blood or planet or something. Because yeah. eventually you're going to really awkwardly run into like like a, a Buck Rogers, the intro of uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Yeah. I'm not familiar with it. Oh, yeah. It's like he goes so far into the century, into the future. And it's like, it was like a while ago now. <laughs> <laughs> Hmm. New Chicago doesn't look like this. Hmm. Yeah. All those future films like Robocop and back to the future, like come and gone. Yep. Yeah. No, still no flying cars. Still no hoverboards. Nope. We have things that we call hoverboards, which are clearly not. Yeah. Excuse me. Are you touching the ground? Then you're not hovering. Thank you. Right. Where do they get off? Yeah. Jerks. Anyway. Anything else to say about the debut of strange new worlds? More uh, promising than not. Uh, Really enjoy all of the new cast that we got to see. I think they all uh, are interesting. And and, although what... Okay, question for you. Was the Kirk thing like a joke? You mean the introduction of his brother at the end? Yeah. So I was... It was not a joke. So that is George Kirk, uh, his brother, also known. His middle name is Sam. So George Samuel Kirk. Okay. Their their father was named George Kirk, played by Thor yeah. in the movie that came out 13 years ago today. Yep. So Sam Kirk. He's the one, of course, who died in TOS. Okay. And previously trending on Twitter, maybe you missed this, was the fact that they have cast a James Kirk for season two of Strange New Worlds. Oh, and I was aware of that. And I was wondering, wait, I thought it was season two, but now they're saying he's coming to the bridge right now. What is happening here? Okay. So, so Kirk's brother served with Pike. That seems to have been the case. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Oh, he actually had uh, three sons, including Peter Kirk. 
What happened to Pete? Oh, wait. I might be wrong here. Pete owns a bakery. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. No. Uh, Sam Kirk. I'm sorry. Sam Kirk, who we just saw in Strange New Worlds, had three sons himself, including Peter. Okay. And Peter went on to found a bakery. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But yeah. So there's a whole Kirk lineage here, a whole big family. Uh, But yeah, Sam and Jim were two brothers, no other siblings. And apparently he served on the Enterprise before Jim did. I didn't know that. Okay. So is he actually going to be a character this season? It seems that way, doesn't it? Or was it just a, ha ha, we know you were looking for Kirk. We gave you one. No, I think... It says in Memory Alpha that he was assigned to the USS Enterprise as a member of the Life Sciences Department. Uh, but this is true only as of this episode that you and I just saw. This is not like right, some right. long-standing reference. Okay. So, so this is new information. Okay. Well, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. I, I, I wanted it to be a joke because if it was, it was freaking hilarious. <laughs> that little tease and cop out. Yeah, like yeah, because they introduced at the beginning of the episode. Oh yeah, yeah, Kirk will be coming on later. Like oh, Kirk, oh, ah, it's Sam Kirk. I know, and he—that's funny. And he shows up with that mustache. Like oh god, the porn stash—it's not good. (laughs) Not good. No, that's what I thought was funny. Is like this is the worst Jim Kirk I've ever seen. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And it does seem like, based on this episode, that it's going to be more or less episodic as opposed to serial. Yeah, which, thank you. Because, look, I am all for, you know, the big grand storytelling, but there's nothing wrong with a monster of the week. Nothing. Let's get back. You know, you can build an audience just doing monster of the week. It isn't, you know, not everything has to be this big, huge 10 episodes spawning like, oh, what are the implications of this? Does it tie into the movies? Stop it. Just give us a good alien, okay? Well, this is exactly what Q said to Picard. It doesn't have to be cosmic shattering. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I wouldn't mind some threads that go throughout. Like, we're certainly going to be learning more about these characters, just like we did with uh, Worf and his family lineage, Mm -hmm. you know, and fighting for his family's honor. We're going to be learning more about La'an. Mm-hmm. And I hope to hear more about Ortegas and the Andorian whose name I keep forgetting. Mm-hmm. And please give us so much more chapel. Yes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think I think a really great example of this is Law and Order, actually, right? If you watch Law and Order over the years, you learn about uh the different characters' families hobbies, little facts about them, none of which are necessary to uh, appreciate and enjoy the show week to week. Like if you don't see it for a month, doesn't matter. You can dip right back in and enjoy it again. Mm -hmm. And that's a big part of why it's been on as long as it's been on, because you can do that. It's rewarding for folks who show up every week, but not necessary for folks who don't. And I really... I, that was something that I thought uh, Next Generation did really well is you would find out these things about their what they do when on their vacation or their families or 
running gags and stuff like the fact that data had a cat, for example, rewarding. If you are the person who shows up every week, but if you're not, you're just like, Oh, data has a cat and he's going on an away mission. And so he's asking Worf to watch his cat. And that's a funny scene. Ha ha. You don't have to come into it knowing spot to appreciate that. Right. I wonder how much of that is because it was episodic and how much of it was because back then they had an hour to fill. And mm-hmm. if the main plot came up short, they would just throw in a scene of data painting or growing a beard. That's actually a really interesting question. Yeah. And it probably depends on the writer, I think. Yeah. Because now we have streaming services that can be as short or as long as you want. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a really interesting question. Huh. Yeah. Because the commercial breaks had to be a specific amount of time. And so to get the story the right length around that, like you couldn't shorten the commercial breaks or lengthen the commercial breaks. They are what they are. So like, oh, well, we got 47 seconds to fill. What do we do? Let's have, you know, Jordy grow a beard and decide not to keep it. Yeah. And there's 47 seconds for you. Yeah. 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 Or that does seem about omelets that are not omelets. They're just scrambled eggs. I don't remember that. Okay, so uh, it's a Pulaski episode. Uh, they all, I know. They convene in Riker's quarters because he's going to make his world-famous omelets. And he's cooking on a little hot plate, and he just makes scrambled eggs. <laughs> it's just scrambled eggs. But they keep calling it omelets the entire way through the scene. I'm like, you could have just changed the line to eggs, your world-famous eggs. And it works. But no, not gonna. Gonna call it omelets. And you're going to deal with it. I mean, some words, their meaning evolves over time, like how we now have marshmallows. We do not. <laughs> we do not. <laughs> nope. Fine. Thanks for meeting me halfway, Susan. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Anything else to say about this episode? I, I'm looking forward to the next one. And you're going to let me know if and when you abandon ship. Oh, I will. Although I doubt I will because I really enjoy this Pike and Spock. Pike, Spock, and number one all together really has the potential to be the new Kirk Bone Spock. Yeah, we didn't talk much about Spock and Pring. That was a fun scene. I I enjoyed that. I thought that was a lot of fun. You know, I, I I like how sassy Tpring is. Exactly. Like when Pike says, "Are you naked?" and Tpring says, "He was about to be." Love that. I love her. She's great. Super fun. Also, I, what's really funny, he comes on, and I I thought that like, oh wait, he's gonna look naked on that call. <laughs> My mind didn't go there. Well, you know, we have different interests and scenes, I think. This is true. This is true. And do I recall after season two of Discovery, you said, maybe I'm thinking of somebody else, that Pike was your favorite Star Trek captain of all time? Yes, that was me. Okay. So I can see why you would not be eager to quit on Strange New Worlds. Well, I... True. Like, I will, will, for that reason, probably give it more leash than, than other things. Because I think the performances are really, really strong. So, but also I just, I really, I missed having a captain who was a presence. I, I, I just don't feel that way about some of the other captains that we like Janeway and, and, and Cisco didn't speak to me. They just didn't speak to me. Wow, there is going to be some vehement disagreement on those points when this episode airs. 
Uh, you know, I a captain is a very personal thing. And Cisco in particular speaks to people with different experiences that I have. So while like that, he's not my captain, I 100% understand and respect why he is very, very important to other people for a lot of different reasons. Janeway, similarly, I wanted Janeway to be different than she was, but I think she was very much hamstrung, but by what the, the industry of that time felt like a woman in charge could be, Hmm. but she's perfect in year of hell. And you must be loving prodigy then. I tried watching prodigy. I thought it was cute, which is what it's supposed to be. It's a young adult show. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was cute. I didn't hate it. I didn't really need to make time to watch it. Okay. Well then, <laughs> Strange New World. Uh, the name of this episode was Strange New World, singular. Uh, uh, I actually saw a newspaper, an actual printed newspaper headline with that, and I thought they had just screwed up the name of the series. Oh, which, and, I mean, fair. Yeah, I you know print high quality nowadays. Mm. But yeah, I am looking forward to the rest of the season, all 10 episodes. I'm eager to see what happens next, and I'm always eager to have you back on the show, Susan. Aww. For those who want to follow you online, where do they do that? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Susan Arndt. You can head on over to space.com and Google Star Trek in or search Star Trek on it and uh, see what I've gotten wrong. Nothing. Nothing I said is wrong. It is all entirely correct. Uh, or you can subscribe to my newsletter, which is called Channel Surfing. It's on Substack. Fantastic. I'll include links to all of those in the show notes at transporterlock.com. Susan, as always, it's been a trip. Thank you. Always love getting to chat Star Trek with you and uh, tell you the many, many ways that you are incorrect about what is good about it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. This isn't like Next Generation, and I don't, I'm bored. I want stories like Next Generation. Where are the Klingons? I want Klingons, and I want Romulans.